This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We've been talking about Jesus, um, well, longer than December, but uh, for the month of December, we decided to do a series, I guess I did, on the uh, subject, We Have a Savior. And uh, we've gone through the month. Now, this last message on this particular series, We Have a Savior, I'm going to talk about one aspect of Jesus that's very important and uh, is uh, a major aspect of Scripture. Not a minor, it's a major aspect of Scripture. I'm going to talk about Jesus, our mighty healer, 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 Jesus who heals, the mighty healer. When we talk about healing... Everybody has a different perspective, depending on your experience, depending on your knowledge, depending on your upbringing, depending on a lot of things. Uh, There's no doubt that everybody in this room at one time or another needed to experience a supernatural touch of God or a healing in your body. At least you would like to have healing in your body from some sickness, disease, infirmity, whatever it might be. Uh, Because I went through what I went through last year, uh, 2014, this year, and as we get into 2015, uh, I wanted to speak on this subject uh, really back in September, but I thought it was a little too soon for me to uh, jump right back in and start speaking on healing just as I'm coming out of the challenge I was going through at that time. Um, I've gone through that valley and gone through that challenge physically with, um, as you know, the whole cancer thing that I went through. And used to be the word cancer would scare people so bad. If you would mention the word cancer, uh, it was almost, it's over. You know, you would almost be saying to someone, it's over. Uh, cancer is unbeatable. You can't do anything about it. Maybe prolong your life a little longer. Maybe go through the medications. And if you live through that, chemo basically kills everything in your body. So they try to kill you and then save you. Uh, and resurrects you from the deathbed, so to speak, because it kills everything inside of you. I had 300 hours of chemo, and I had 20 hours of radiation, and that was one side, the medical side. I decided to do both, that is, obey the doctors, and I told both my doctors, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. I'm going to submit myself totally with no argument, no reasoning. I'm going to submit myself to your routines, and I'm just going to go through it. And at the same time, I prayed to the Lord, I'm going to submit myself to your dealings and whatever this means to me. Uh, We pray and people prayed all over and we had uh, prayer every day, simply every day I had prayer. People at the hospital, people at my home, uh, prayer people that stand with me all the time, etc. And so I had two things going. I had the doctor, the medical world, and the prayer, the God world, and I was working both of them. And then I had the third world, and that is me and my own inner being experiencing what I was experiencing, and then the test of my own faith. Uh, what is this for? How long will it last? Will I get through it? Is this the end of me? What legacy am I leaving? Uh, how is this going to work for my family? Uh, what's going to be the future? What about the church? I had all these questions, you know, a couple pages of them that I had to just submit to the Lord after a certain season of time and say, understand, there's nothing I can do about all those questions. I just got to submit to the dealings of God and the uh, will of God, and I'm going to go through this, but I'm going to believe for the best. So my faith level was I'm going to believe for the best. I didn't even demand uh, of God. I didn't demand healing. I didn't demand that God heal me, either heal me or, you know, 
is not fair or this is be so discouraging to the church. And so, you're, you know, you're, you're cornered, God. You, you need to heal me. And I didn't go there because I've been there with so many people so many times with sickness and disease and infirmities and terminal diseases. And I've had friends go through it. I had friends that were healed and I had friends that went to heaven. So I understood all of that, understood too much. And so I submitted everything to God, lest my mind would kind of go off with too many things, you know, reasoning scripture with myself and the circumstance and, and the supernatural. I had to really calm myself and just say, Lord, it's in your hands. I understand. I trust. I believe. I, I, I really know you're a good God. And Lord, I'm just going to go through this. And whatever the outcome is, is according to your own hand and your own power. And so that gave me peace and I went through it. Uh, when the doctors first told me after eight months of treatment, the very first time that she actually said to me, because she would never say it before, no matter what the treatment said, she was always very um, adamant that uh, the cancer is still there and we've got to kill it, we've got to fight it, you've got to fight it, you've got to be a fighter, Frank, you can't give in one inch. And so I was, and she was a great doctor, led me through this. It was the first time to hear from her lips, Frank, you have no cancer in your body. The, the two tumors are dead. They're gone. The one has disappeared. The other one is dead. But we are going to continue some radiation treatment just in that one area to make sure nothing else can happen. But to hear her say there's no cancer in your body coming from a doctor was a big deal for me and uh, caused me to really, you know, kind of reach and say, well, wow, what has happened here? What exactly does this mean? You really can't comprehend it while you're in it, uh, filled with meds and filled with the circumstance. And I would ask her every time I would see her, tell me again about my body. I, I did. Every single time I went to see her, I said, tell me again. She said, tell, tell you what? Tell me about the cancer. It's gone. Just say it. Okay, it's gone. Okay, thank you very much. You know, every time she finally got the giggles with me, she says, okay, sit down. It's gone. Okay, thank you. Now we can talk because it was the news was too good to be true. It was like, but maybe maybe there's something else. Maybe there's you know the the human mind how it worked. Well, anyway, through all of that, I really came to grips with again the uh, issue of healing, 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 miracles, power of God, supernatural, the invisible kingdom, and tried to get a better grasp on that. I I had to come to grips with it in one way or another. One of the ways is, Lord, you must take me through this so that I can help other people. At least I can take from the trial some measure of faith or, or miracles or something, or even just a testimony that it's possible to survive this and possible to live through it. And, and God can take you through it. And I've had so many people come forward, both in our church and outside of our church, that would say that. My example of going through this gave them hope that they could get through this, that there's, there's an answer, that you don't have to give up. And, and so you just fight and believe and stand in your faith. And so I know that's part of it. The other part is to actually lead our church into a better understanding of the supernatural and a better understanding of this thing called healing. Just for an example, right now today in this room, uh, several hundred people and in the service before, uh, several hundred people, okay? How many in this room have something wrong with you physically that you would like to be healed of? Let me see your hands. 
Well, that's quite a few hands. How many of you would have something that would be uh, life-threatening? Anybody have some life-threatening stuff going on in your life? Others? Well, I know exactly how that feels, and I know that words don't mean much when you're living in the shadow of death. Words don't mean much. You really need a reality of something to grip your soul and give you hope that you're going to get through this. And the worst-case scenario, which you have to grasp, and, it, and the worst-case scenario for us is not the worst, it's the best, and that is the worst is you go straight to heaven. And so you're with Jesus immediately. You're, you're, you have a great alternative, and the alternative is the eternal. And so you don't lose. No matter what happens, you don't lose. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. That's good news. And it, and it really is good news. No matter what happens, you don't, you don't lose. Because even though you don't think about it, I tell you what, I thought about it a lot. What's heaven like? Who will I see first? Jack. Jack. He, that's who I would see first. And he'd say, hey, buddy, come on. Who would I see next? Jesus. Jack first. And so I really had to come to grips with, boy, this life is just uh, like it says in the Psalms. It's just a shadow. Uh, Psalms 90, it's so short. Uh, everything that is taught in the Bible, you, you realize that if you live 50, 60, 70 years compared to eternity, it's just nothing. It's just so short. But we hang on to that little bit because it's so real to us and the other is not so real to us. And so we pass through that shadow and we get into the reality of life and death and we go, wow, what really happens? And so I try to imagine what would really happen. And, and so you go through that. Uh, I want to take more the side and, and not the eternal, although I really do think at some point this year I'll probably do some teaching on heaven itself because I think it's something you need to think about just a little bit more. Even if you're young or old, you need to realize it's a big subject in the Bible and it gives us faith to go through anything because the worst thing that can happen to you is not death. And if death has lost its sting, there ain't nothing else going to sting you. That's the worst. That's the biggest fear of all mankind. When they come to that deathbed, that's their biggest fear. But it says, 1 Corinthians 15, death has lost its sting. It's lost the ability to stun you and put fear in your heart because you realize there's something beyond death. Now, I'm not going to get into that. Okay, we're talking about healing. Say it out loud. Healing. Okay. We have a Savior. Jesus is our Redeemer. First slide. Jesus is our Redeemer, Deliverer, Rescue, who saves us, who saves us, who saves us from sin's power that destroys life. Now, remember, theologically, biblically, sickness entered humanity the same time sin did. Not all sickness is because of sin, but all sickness is because of sin. It's not because of the sins you actually do right now, lie, cheat, steal, whatever you think sin might be. 
But sin in the universe has already been dropped into the human bloodline. And so it says in Psalm 51, you're born into sin. You're born into lawlessness. You're born with a nature that is against God. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. You are born a sinner. Even a little tiny baby that's so cute. And, you know, even my grandson, well, my grandson would be different because he's the only child without sin. And so... You, you have all these little children, and you look at them, and you hold them, and you say, oh, how precious. And yet in that little precious body is self-will, selfishness, manipulation, carnality. They know how to take a parent and wrap them around their finger. Oh, oh, come here. And they start learning how to get you and move you. Where did they learn that? They don't have to go to a seminar. They're born with a degree in selfishness. They're born with it. Nobody has to teach them. And you wonder, how do they learn that? They're born with it. And as they grow, if they don't get saved, they just get better at selfishness and manipulation, like some adults I know. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. Right? Wrong. Wrong. All right. We have a Savior. Now, notice the Savior saves us from our sin, and there's some parallel with sin and disease. There's a parallel. Mighty Heater, Jehovah Rapha. Remember in the Old Testament, there's 15 Jehovahistic names, some more known than others. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rhea, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Makedishakim. Try that one. Good. You're doing good. Okay. All the Jehovahistic names. And so uh, Jehovah had certain actions where he would uh, actually bond himself with the people by doing certain things they could understand. So he would be their provider. He would be their protector. He would be their guide. He would be their Jehovah Rapha, their healer. And so this word Jehovah Rapha means the Lord, my healer, simply means he restores, he returns to wholeness. And I like this part of the Hebrew word, he reverses diseases. He reverses diseases with a cure. And so in the Old Testament, we have people that were healed. Naaman, who was not a believer. Naaman, who was uh, uh, an officer in the military, why would God heal him? Because God's a healer. He restores, he cures, he takes diseases, and he takes care of them. And as you go through the Old Testament, there's a number of people that were healed in different ways. Why? Because Jehovah Rapha, the healer, was upon the people of God, and they could be healed. If the Old Testament has healing, how much more does the New Testament have healing? If the Old Testament, which was the law, and before the cross, and before the Holy Spirit moved on everybody, and when we come to the book of Hebrews, it says that we have come to a better cross, a better atonement, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, and by the way, a better healing. And so in the New Testament, healing is a huge subject. Mark 16 and verse 20. Mark 16 and verse 20. The followers went everywhere in the world and told the good news. The good news is the gospel to people. And the Lord helped them. One translation says, and the Lord was working with them. And the Lord proved, what did he prove? That the good news they told was true. How did he prove that it was true? By giving them power 
to work miracles. From the very beginning, now the uh, Great Commission is the last earthly teaching, so to speak, that Jesus gave, although he gave some more teaching after the resurrection for 40 days, it says he was alive with them and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then Acts chapter one, he's going to ascend up and they're still asking him, what does this mean? And what about this? And when will you come again? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know that. Just uh, receive the power. Now, I want you just to understand the two last words that Jesus gave to the church, both of them have to do with power. In that Mark, Matthew, uh, Luke, John, all the Great Commission scriptures has to do with power shall come upon you. Then in Acts 1-8, after the resurrection, after the 40 days of teaching as a resurrected teacher, that must have been a 40-day amazing seminar. And then right before he ascends up to heaven, he says to them, wait for the power, power, power. And so Remember that I said this, and if you're taking notes, you can write it down. From the very beginning, the gospel, which was the good news, go and preach the gospel to everybody, the good news, and tell the people about the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He was born sinless. He lived his life as a sinless man. He died on the cross. He bore our sins. He went into the grave. He was resurrected from the grave. He taught the people. He ascended up on high. He is now the high priest in heaven, and he lives forever after the order of Melchizedek, which was the high priest in the Old Testament. And so we have a living God, a living Christ. Folks, it's good news. Okay, it's good news. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a very living, up-to-date, right now, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is still alive, who still works, who is very powerful. He's not a dead philosopher. He's not a dead God. He is a wonderful God. And he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Well, the gospel was never supposed to separate from miracles, ever. When you preach the gospel, you're preaching miracles. When you preach about conversion, you're preaching miracle. When you preach the sozo, which is the Greek word for salvation, and I'll get to that later, you're preaching that the gospel has within it power. And that power is to rebuke the devil, deliver people, bring wholeness to their life, turn them around, and point them in the right direction with a new body, a new soul, a new spirit, a new set of emotions, a new heart, a new life. Come on, shout hallelujah. So the gospel was never supposed to be some kind of a dead intellectual academic presentation of the theologies of Jesus, and this is what happened, and as long as you understand that, you'll be fine. I was taught that my whole life, and I had an academic gospel. There's no doubt about it. I understood some of the Bible and the academic gospel, but I didn't understand the power of God, and it wasn't until I understood the power of God that I was really born again, and I really started knowing Jesus and serving Jesus. But for this man right here, it was the power of God that turned my life around. It was not an academic ascent to the doctrines of heaven and hell. It was the power of God touching my life in the Jesus movement, which involved miracles and healings and signs and wonders and God moving in the midst of the church. What I'm believing for is that God would visit the church once again with signs and wonders and miracles and an outbreak of the power of God so that our gospel is not in mind only, but in word and power. That's what Paul says. He says, I didn't come to you in word only. I came to you with word and come on, say it. 
What's missing from the American church, USA church? Power. We have choirs. We have money. We have buildings. We have buses. We have budgets. We have staff. We have television, we have radio, we have books, we have magazines. We have all kinds of programs that God has not even thought of yet. We have everything going for us, but the one thing the USA church is in dire need of is power. When you go internationally, South America, Japan, China, I've been to all these places. It's different. It frustrates me to death, well, to life. But it frustrates me because I feel it, I see it, and I don't like it. Why is the USA church so different from these other countries that see so much more of the power of God? I think I know why, and I'm going to tell you whether you want to know or not. I'm going to tell you. Three words I want you to write down. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs, used by itself, is a hard word to comprehend almost. It's a, it's a word that doesn't carry with it a lot of connotation when you first read it. Signs. Signs and wonders. Okay, what was a sign? Well, it simply means a sign is a miracle that points to the work and power of God. So a sign is just like a stop sign. or it, Really, it is a sign. But the sign itself, which involves a miracle, is supposed to point to someone. It's supposed to point to a source. The sign gets people to say, what happened here? What is this all about? Who did this? Who healed this man? A sign gets people pointed in the right direction. What we need is more signs. And signs involve, number two, the word wonders. Signs and wonders is used uh, most of the time together, but they are two different words, okay? Signs and wonders are two different words. Some, something so unusual, now I'm hungry for this and ready for this, that it arouses close observation, that something happens that's so unusual that people, you get their full attention, close observation. It's a miracle that startles and amazes. Something great and mighty. Now even though my... My journey with, with the disease that I went through, the doctors are still amazed and startled. When I went back to the doctor just a uh, little over a week ago, back to do another discussion and checkup, and, and then I have another one January 12th. And, but she, she, Dr. McDonald, who, whom I hope to introduce both Dr. McDonald and Dr. Boyle to the congregation at some point, because they're such wonderful people, and they, they serve my life so amazing. And they have been so impacted. We have become such close friends. I mean, we sent them Christmas presents. And we, I mean, we really have bonded through this situation. And they told me, they said, we haven't met very many people like you. You are really different. Now, I didn't ask them to do a commentary on what they meant by different. But I think I know some of it. So I went back to the doctor. Dr. McDonald couldn't stop hugging me. Just hugged me and hugged me. My wife was with me. And she hugged me and she hugged me. And she says, Frank, you just look, ah, you just look so good. Your color and your strength and everything is just, I mean, you just, it's amazing. It's, it's startling. And I start thinking, I guess it is. I don't know where I should be at this point. But all the nurses start coming through the office, start coming in 
to Sharon and I, there must have been six more nurses that came through and just said, Frank, we just had to come in and say, hi, you look so wonderful. It is just amazing. You just are, are healing so fast, and we're so glad we could be involved. Well, my little bit, just my little bit of healing in front of them, along with the medicine, which I wouldn't take away, but I would tell them every time, you're only part of my answer. The other part is God still loves me. And he has done something that I didn't deserve, but he still does it. And they would ask me what I meant by that and, and on and on. Why? Because wonders causes people to get startled and amazed and say, can you pray for all the patients? Yes, I can. But I don't want to yet because I don't like going back up to the ward. When I, I don't like going back to the hospital. And I, wanna, I told him, I said, I will, but I need to get delivered from hospital spirit first. And then, then I can go pray for people in the oncology ward, which I'm definitely going to do. Signs and wonders, something great and mighty. Come on, say it out loud with me. Something great and mighty. little louder. Something great and mighty. Now, I believe that your life need something great and mighty in, in different realms, which I'll show you. Miracles is a supernatural manifestation of divine power in the external world. That is, a miracle starts internal, but it doesn't stay invisible. It touches the external world. You can see the effect of the supernatural. You see the effect of the working of God. It doesn't stay invisible. It becomes visible. When a blind eye is open, someone sees it. It's now visible. The supernatural realm has now moved into the external realm, and you can actually experience the miracle. I still remember the miracles I experienced when I came to Christ as a teenager. Even though I was raised in church, I was not saved. I was religious. I knew some of the scripture. I had gone to church most every Sunday of my whole life, but I didn't know God, didn't know Christ, had no passion for the church, had no passion for the Bible, had no passion for anything spiritual. I was just a religious kid. My dad was a pastor, and I went to church, and it was deader than Julius Caesar to me. And so as I entered into the realm of the supernatural, it was in the Jesus people movement. I hate to say that. I didn't find it in the church, even though my dad's churches were, were great little churches, and they preached the gospel, at least heaven and hell, and they helped a lot of people. But I didn't have any, any knowledge of the supernatural, never been affected by it, never knew it, never had any involvement with it, never saw anybody healed, never saw anybody ever affected by the Holy Spirit. I had Zippo knowledge of the Holy Spirit. But when I got into the Jesus people movement, they were all about simplicity of Jesus and power and prayer and pray for the sick and, and witness to people and just believe the Bible's real and whatever the Bible says will happen. I remember the first miracle I saw with uh, a friend of mine. It was a couple, Scott and Paula, who were both super drug addicts. And they were uh, people that delivered drugs to a lot of people. And Paula had a tumor in her nose. And uh, the side of her nose was hard as a rock. And she had this problem. So she I invited them to the meeting. They didn't have any knowledge of Jesus. They were not Christian at all. And they were uh, in the service there. And Albie was preaching, which he did every time in his house. We'd pack in 100, 150 kids into his living room, no furniture, nothing, just kids sitting everywhere. And Albie would preach simple gospel. And then he would pray for the sick and do things. And uh, he prayed for Paula. And she got healed. And when she got healed, everybody was so stunned Myself, I still remember looking at her standing against the wall, wanting to touch her nose. I said, can, can I touch your nose? She goes, yeah, touch it, touch it, touch it. 
I said, that's unbelievable. How do you feel? She says, I feel wonderful. She says, this can't be true. And I remember watching her not knowing how to handle a miracle like the rest of us kids in that room. Another time, a girl named Diane Michaels brought her grandmother who was stone deaf. And we prayed for the grandmother. This was not Albie praying now. This was about six of us Jesus freaks praying for Grandma Michaels. I knew Grandma Michaels because I dated Diane Michaels during high school. And so I've been at the house a number of times with Grandma Michaels, stone deaf woman. We prayed for her, stepped behind the couch. She was looking one way. We were behind her and said, Grandma Michaels, do you hear us? And she responds and says, don't talk so loud. We... We were totally freaked out, freaked out. I remember putting my fingers in her ears like Jesus did, you know, but I didn't spit on them. I just put dry fingers in and said, Is, are you, do you hear? She said, yes, I hear. Then she finally berserk, went berserk. She finally just freaked out. You know, I was afraid we're going to have to pray to raise her from the dead because she was so emotional about the healing. When people really get healed, it's not, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. When they really get healed, they go crazy. They go crazy. At Catherine Cuomo's meetings, I was there several times. And uh, if you don't know her, you read the history about her. But I, I actually had a chance to be on the platform with her, gave my testimony. That's how I got there as a Jesus freak. But then I went two more times just because I wanted to be around Catherine. And uh, watching her pray for the sick and watching the realm of the supernatural was so mind-boggling. To this day, I can see the auditorium. I can feel the platform. I can see Catherine pointing people out as she began. Every time when she began miracles, she would point one miracle out and blow the cap off the service. And when faith got to that level, then she would just spread the service with all kinds of prayers for miracles. And the deaf would come forward, the blind, the lame, and miracles would just start happening all over. And she was just kind of a director of traffic. But she started with the word of knowledge, and, and it was in the upper upstairs of the uh, auditorium which seated about 8,000 people. And she called out a miracle for a, a little young girl uh, who was blind. And so she called out the miracle, says, there's a young girl about eight years old. And uh, you came with your mother and you're sitting up here somewhere. And mom, while I'm talking, I want you to bring her down because God's going to open that young girl's eyes. Well, the mother, of course, ran down with the little girl, brings her forward. And Catherine, in her gentle, simplistic, almost strange way, she would talk, you know. Oh, Jesus. You know, I say, just say it. Jesus, Jesus, Catherine, Jesus. Not oh, Jesus. And her flowing gowns and her red hair. And, you know, she was a piece of work, to say the least. And so, simple, simple. The little girl came down. She prayed a prayer of healing. She stepped back, said, now, Jesus, do this. The little girl got healed. And the ushers could not catch her. Catch her, not falling, running. She was running all over the platform, screaming. It would, it would give you chills, and it would also be, this is strange. I mean, I don't know what to do. Did this really happen in front of me? And the mother falls down, sobbing, and the little girl's running all over, and Catherine's going, Jesus, Jesus did it again, again. And he's going to do more. Be patient with Jesus. <laughs> Miracles just 
would start happening. Thank you, Mark. Bless you. May your puppy live forever. <laughs> oh, boy. I feel so challenged to believe for more, for more. Don't settle, don't stop. Don't, don't just think Christianity is in the pages, but it's not in reality. It's Jesus was yesterday, that's what he had to do. But today, you know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He seeks to do things in your life and my life. Miracles is a supernatural manifestation of divine power in the external world. Yes. You can see them. Yes. Special revelation of his presence. All right, now, let me give you a definition for healing. This is the biblical definition. This is not Webster's Dictionary. This is the biblical definition involving six Hebrew words and two Greek words that I can bind into a couple sentences. But these, this is what the Bible means when it says healing. Biblical healing is to make whole. Now, making whole is a lesson in itself. That's something that, that we could talk a lot more about. Uh, restore, cure, deliver, save from death, or to be free from a disease. So when you read the word healed or healing, and also, even though you might not understand this, but this is, this is how it works, the word in the Old Testament, at least one of them, there's other words for healing besides rapha in the Old Testament, but I'm, not, I'm trying not just to teach you to death. Uh, but rapha in the Old Testament was that word Jehovah rapha. He's the Yahweh, the God who can heal, rapha, heal, cure, deliver, bring you to a place of wholeness, stitch up your soul, bring new life into you. That's rapha. It's the same word crossed over into the Greek, it's translated sozo, sozo. What's that word in the English? It's in your Bible, the word save, salvation. So when it says, and Jesus is here to save you from your sins, Luke 1.79, that's the word, Jesus is here to sozo, rapha. So when you actually read the word salvation, healing, is the word in salvation, for salvation, about salvation. You cannot separate being saved and being healed in your soul, being healed in your emotions, having a new life, a new mind, a new heart, a new desire, a new passion, a new vision, a new, 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 new. Why? Because you've been healed. Sozo is to come down to that particular person and bring healing and what? Wholeness to your life. And that's why people step back and say, wow, what happened to you? I was sozoed. What? Oh, sozo. <laughs> Japanese, sozo. Not really, it's Greek. But it simply means I've been brought to a place of wholeness. I've been cured. 
Something inside of me has changed. I've been healed. I'm no longer filled with anger and bitterness and and everything else about life. I've been healed. I I have a new life, a new heart. I, I feel differently about life and about you and everything else. What is that? It's a miracle called salvation. And when that miracle rests in you, it's because the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you and worked that out. One researcher says 73% of all Americans believe in miracles in the Bible. 73%. Another writer, Herbert Lockyer, says a miracle is a work wrought by a divine power for a divine purpose by means beyond human reach. Beyond human reach. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, a miracle is interference, interference with nature by an act of the supernatural God. Norman Geisler, who's a great writer, theologian, I like what he says here. If I had to explain healing and why I believe in it, this definition would really set well with me. If there is a God who can act, A-C-T, act, then there can be acts of God. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Say it. Come on, say it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Why? Because it's the book of actions. It's not the book of theology. It's not the book of beatitude teaching again. It's not the book of Acts. It's called the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so Christianity was never supposed to be a passive mental ascent to the kingdom of God. It was supposed to be a kingdom of action, where things took place, where things happen. When people pray, things happen. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The church, our church, should be called the first church of acts. Actions. Things happen there. What's so different about your church? Things happen. What kind of thing? Don't know. Many things. Like what? Well, people are touched and healed and, and finances break loose and jobs get had and businesses are helped and marriages are healed. And what kind of a church is that? It's a church that has the acts of God in it. Now, the acts of God in our church. Do we have healings? Yes, I keep a journal of healing uh, at City Bible Church. If you have been healed, any kind of a miracle in your life, please email my office, frank at citybiblechurch.org, and email you your testimony so I can put it into my journal, which I have right now, probably about a hundred of these. And they're personal and they're written out. And I love it. Why? Because it reminds me there's a lot of healing taking place. Remember this, even though we don't... Uh, Uh, bring it forward every Sunday and talk about it every service. There are healings going on in the church all the time, all the time. This young woman over here that was healed of your baseball shoulder, where are you? Would you stand to your feet? Would you come up here real quick? Just jump up here. Can you do that? Thank you, hon. I don't even think I've met you. Have I met you? No. Well, hi, I'm Frank. It's a privilege to know me, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. This girl right here, no, I'm going to tell the story because if she takes, she, she might take too much of my time. You had a shoulder problem. Yeah. What was, was there a tear in your shoulder yeah. because you play softball or what do you do? Softball. Softball. Are you a pitcher? No, I play shortstop. Okay. But you have to throw the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And so you had surgery coming up. 
on your, so, on your shoulder because of the tear. They did x-rays and everything. But when you went in for the surgery, what happened? The tear was gone. And what did the doctor say? That he was shocked. Don't need surgery. Mm-hmm. What'd you call that? Healing. Good. Thank you very much. Yes, now, you don't know that. I didn't know it until my son told me about it, because I don't even know this girl in our youth group here. But healings are taking place all the time. And we need to talk about it more and believe it more. Even though we don't showcase every one of them, we need to build each other's faith by remembering that he's the God who can do the impossible. He's the God that can work in the body of people, the mind of people. Nothing is outside of his reach. It's the miracles that God wants to do. And so I believe with Norman Geisler, where he says, if God can act, then God can act now. The only way to show that miracles are impossible is to disprove the existence of God. And that is something that can't be done. So what is it? The healing of, here's the areas that God wants to heal. The Bible represents these areas. The body, mind, emotions. The Bible talks about healing the land. Remember 2 Chronicles 7.14? If you will humble yourselves and pray, I will come and I will heal you. I heal the land. Well, that's also in the New Testament where God can heal a nation, heal the land. The land represents the people, not just the, the terra firma or the dirt, but actually the people, the nation. How many of you understand America could use some healing right now? The officer that was on the news is from one of our churches. Christ Tabernacle is one of our churches. It's MFI Church. It's a church I preach in when I go to New York. It's very good friends with Andrew, Chris Dursel. I'm good friends with Michael, the pastor, and Adam, the successor now. And I'll be going to that church again this year to watch what happened at the funeral. 25,000 policemen. Unbelievable. 30,000 people, including them, watching everybody at Christ Tabernacle. As you're looking at the news, Michael was sitting right at the left of the screen, him and his wife, and her testimony is absolutely mind-boggling. It's one of the greatest testimonies I've ever heard in my life of what happened to this woman. They've done a musical based on her life because of what happened. She was a street kid thrown into the gutter as a baby and raised on the streets. When you hear her testimony, you will cry and weep and think of all the ways that God can help a person, how he kept her life, and now who she is. It's, it's just, it's called Maria. It sounds like a musical, doesn't it? Maria, you know? God is Italian, we know that. And so she is a wonderful testimony. Their church is handling what's going on And we have this black-white thing going on in Ferguson and New York City and all over. And I mean, it's just boiling and boiling and boiling. Why? Because we have some roots of rottenness in our nation. And one of those roots is called racism. And racism is a sick root. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Our nation needs a huge healing, a deliverance and something new to happen in this area. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Well, the Bible says God can heal the land, God can heal the nation, and God can heal the sin-sick soul. Our nation is a sin-sick soul, and a lot of other people are sin-sick people, all right? Now, 
Here are some things that I call it is right. Everyone say it is right. It is right right for what? One, it is right to want to be a channel of divine power into other people's lives at their points of need. It's right for you to take that attitude and say, I want to be a channel. I don't want to be a passive Christian. I want to be a conduit. I want to be a prayer channel, a miracle channel, a signs and wonder channel. I want to be an answer, a solution. I want to bring healing to my business, my job, my people, my school friends. I want to be a channel of the power of God. Number two, it is right to aspire to use God's gifts in powerful and useful ways. There's gifts of the Holy Spirit that 1 Corinthians talks about, Romans talks about, the book of Acts. You see them in action. Those are gifts of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, miracles. There's gifts in the body of Christ. The Bible doesn't lie. That means sitting in this room right now today, and this is only one of four rooms, and second service is another one of the campuses. That's a lot of services and a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that have gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of faith, gifts of word of wisdom, word of knowledge. How many of you would like me to teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit so you could understand them? How many of you would say, I don't really understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It's it's just something that Uh, How many of you, if you do understand it, you use your gift all the time? Then you don't understand it. And so everybody lift their hand and say, I don't understand it. Because if you did, you'd be activating that gift all the time. And you'd use it for good in the kingdom of God. All right? Uh, Number three, it is right. This is the right desire for us to see God's power manifested in a way that what? Has significant evangelistic effect. So that as people are saved by the power of God or encounter the power of God or delivered by the power of God, other people hear about it and they get saved because the sign points to the source. The source is Jesus. The source is the Holy Spirit. And as they learn that, they turn to God. You can argue with a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, anybody else, as long as you want about the Book of Mormon and the Joseph Smith thing and this and the history. And you can argue with the Jehovah Witness about Christmas tree, no Christmas tree. You can argue with Jehovah Witness. I have some relatives that are Jehovah Witness. If you are a Jehovah Witness, I apologize that I'm talking about it. But it is a false religion. And it's based on a false assumption. But you can argue as long as you want. The difference between a good debate and a lost debate is when God shows up in power. And so you can talk about it. Uh, T.L. Osborne, who was the first pastor of this church back in the 1950s, before Dick Iverson, the only pastor for one year. But T.L. Osborne was a famous evangelist. He actually started right out of this church. Livia knows him. I know him. And it's part of our roots. So he was an evangelist. And he had an amazing miracle ministry, and he traveled the world. When he was in Indonesia in 1956, in Jakarta, he had 50,000 people at his crusade, 50,000 people. They, they had taken the city. And the very first night that T.L. preaches, he recognizes that there's three groups of people in the audience. This is the boldness of T.L. Osborne. He says, I know there's... Uh, Muslims, Buddhists, and Christians. Christians was a minute group of people. He says, how many of you are Muslims? Thousands. How many of you are Buddhists? Thousands. How many of you are Christian? Dozens. So he says, okay, I'm going to demonstrate something so you understand who I am. He says, I want you to bring that man that's laying down right over there. I can see him. He's on the, he's on the mat. This was not pre-planned. And he says, I just want you to bring that man up, and I want to know what's wrong. Well, he was paralyzed. And so then T.L. says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to show you something right now, and then you can choose for yourself. So he said, first of all, I'm going to pray for this crippled man. He was paralyzed. He says, I'm going to pray for him in the name of Mohammed. 
And so TL turns and he starts praying for this guy. In the name of Mohammed, I rebuke this spirit of sickness. I mean, he prays a real dynamic prayer in the name of Mohammed. He says, now rise to your feet in the name of Mohammed. Oh, nothing. Mohammed doesn't want to do this. Okay, no Mohammed because he doesn't want to help the man. Let's pray in the name of Buddha. In the name of Buddha, I come against this crippled nut spirit or whatever is wrong with this man. And so he prays a dynamic prayer using the name of Buddha. Now, rise up and walk. Oh, Buddha doesn't want to do anything either. He's too busy. He can't hear. Maybe he's dead and never came back to life again, which is true. So then he says, now I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. He says, I pray in the name of Jesus by the authority of the Holy Spirit that you rise to your feet and you foul demon that has come upon this body. I rebuke you and loose this man. And I demand you right now to jump to your feet. The man jumped to his feet. And the whole crowd went, not clapping, the whole crowd went deathly quiet. He says, now, if you had to choose Mohammed, Buddha, or Jesus, what would be your choice? Thousands of hands went up. I need a God who answers prayer like that. Thousands of people got saved. The next night in the crusade, 100,000 people came out. Thousands healed, thousands saved, no exaggeration, thousands, because he had the boldness. I don't know if I would have done it that way, because I, I would be afraid I'd say, Mohammed, anything, Buddha, anything, Jesus, Jesus. And the Muslims shot up, hang the man. He had denounced our God. No, just wait, Jesus is coming, he's coming, he's coming, Jesus, please. This is serious now. Obviously, Achiel had a different relationship to faith, to boldness, to gifts of the Holy Spirit. He had done this many times, and he had total faith that Jesus would show up. There's another guy in India. His name is uh, Pablo. Pablo. P-A-B-L-O. Pablo. And Pablo would do something funny as he would uh, minister in India. He would go into the village, and he would announce in the village, your gods are false. There's only one true God, and I can prove it all the village people would come together. And he would say to them, bring me the sickest person in the village right here. Bring me the demon-possessed man or woman right here. So they brought out a woman in a cage, a bamboo cage. They brought out two other sick people that were crippled, blind. He says, okay, if I can fix this, this is my wording, but this is the way he preached then you would need to follow the source, which is Jesus. He prayed for the woman in the cage. She was like a wild animal. Her mind came back. It looked like she passed out, he says. It looked like something happened there. She just passed out. And she came back to herself, began to weep. They let her out of the cage. She hugged her family. All the villagers are stunned. He prayed for the deaf ears. God opened the blind eyes. God opened. The whole village is looking at him. He says, how many of you would like to serve a God like this? Hello. The whole village got saved. The whole village came to Christ. Miracles 
should not be separated from the name Jesus. He's able to do more than we're letting him do. Now, as usual, the miracle is I haven't finished the notes um, because I research too much. But how many of you are glad you get at least what I give you? You know, even though I can't, you know, give it all, but I will. I can't leave you here. The first service, I had people come and, you know, you, you can't leave us here. And I said, I'm not. I'll just call it the first message on moving mountains is moving mountains of sickness. So I'll just roll it right forward, different spin on the ball. That's all. And we will try to break. I just felt breaking into 215, 2015 is a power breakout. I, 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 I really feel that. It, we, need, we need a power breakout. Not weird. We, don't, we won't become weird because the New Testament people weren't weird. But it says the Lord was with them everywhere they went. And the miracles didn't happen in the church services, although some did. Most of them happened where they worked, in their homes, with their relatives. It, it, it was a normal thing for them to stop and say, you, you need healing? Yes, let me pray. They were healed. And the whole kingdom of God was extended. If you're sick in your body this morning, spirit, soul, mind, will, emotions, mental problems, physical problems, terminal problems, I got faith for you. And it starts right here. I can't finish what I would like to do right here, but I will. Next Sunday, bring the sick, bring the demon-possessed, bring, bring the needs of people to service. Challenge Challenge God. Challenge God to, to set some people free and see what the Lord will do. I was raised in an atmosphere of the power of God. That's my first five years of Christianity was in the power of God. I didn't know anything else except to expect that Jesus would do the unexpected. He would heal. He would deliver. He would. If you need healing, this is the first door you'll open. It's just expectation. And now stand to your feet. Everybody that needs healing in their body, their mind, their emotions. I wish I would have got to the rest of the book of Luke uh, where it talks about how he delivered, delivered the spirits from people. And one of them that he delivered them from, I need healing in my leg yet too. It's funny that I'm preaching on healing while I'm still lame. But whether, whether I'm lame or not, well, how many of you know I've improved quite a bit? You know, and so uh, I just, I'm just not used to walking with, with balance. Um, what was I talking about? Huh? Yeah, healing. I know that. And unclean spirits. That's what I, I can't get into that like I did the first service, but it's, I'll tell you what, you're going to be very interested to hear what an unclean spirit is because it's used over 30 times in the New Testament. People delivered from an unclean. I never studied it until yesterday. What unclean spirit. Because it says Jesus delivered them from the spirit of unclean spirit. I said, what is with this? Okay, we're going to pray for healing. Just, just lift your hands. I want you right now 
in the quietness of your soul to name what it is that you need healing. It might be more than one thing. Top of the head to the bottom of your feet, name what it is. Is it muscle? Is it bone? Is it mental? Is it called something like a disease, like cancer, diabetes? Is it, is it something you can name? Is it deafness? Is it blindness? Is it uh, something that's uh, working against your body all the time? Is it a blood disease? Is it what? I want you as best you can to name it and where it is in your body. If you know, crawl it and say, okay, Lord, it might be barrenness in a woman. That can be obviously something that can be broken off of a person, off of a woman who needs to bear children. I have great faith for barrenness to be broken. I have great faith for you right now to start on a healing journey that will result in a miracle manifestation in the external world that you live. All right? Just spread your hands toward heaven. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. And because the name of Jesus is so powerful, you said that you would send signs, wonders, miracles, healings, deliverance to the people that had faith to believe. Lord, we have faith to believe because we're, we're in the Word of God this morning. We're, we're reading the Scripture and we're saying, no gap, no gap. We, we want to enter into what is said here. We don't want there to be a, a gap. We want what was said. Lord, what we're asking for on this particular Sunday is for healing to begin in the life of every person that's standing. Lord, let the testimonies come forth. Let the Spirit of God come upon them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, bringing healing and deliverance and wholeness. Lord, restore wholeness. Take away the frailty. Take away that thing that has caused the weakness. Take away that thing that is against their blood, against their muscle, against their bone, against their, their mental uh, state. Lord, I pray today that wholeness will come to this congregation because you are Jesus, the mighty healer. Let there be presence, Lord, to heal these people. And as we continue to pray, Lord, let more gates open, more doors be broken down. Because you're our healer this morning. Everyone now stand together, spread your hands toward heaven.